I always thought the Bible was really boring. Like, really boring. So to the point to where, like, I would only read the Bible when I was writing a message, and that was about it. And so I, that's kind of what I started learning, not just bible things, but I started learning how to read the Bible, and that totally changed how I approached it. And it, it became more life-giving. And so one of the things that I love to do, chance to speak, and I mean, Aaron, thanks for having me here today. Renew, thanks for putting up with me today. Um, is I, one of the things I love to focus on is I like to give away the ability to make the Bible more accessible so that hopefully when you leave today, there might be a little bit of inspiration this next couple of days to say, oh, wait, maybe the Bible isn't as boring or hard or complicated or overwhelming as I thought it was, and maybe I can pick it up and read it and God can speak to me. Does that sound good? So if it's okay today, my goal is to, to, to kind of teach you a little bit of what it might be and maybe some different questions to apply so the next time you pick it up, say, ah, let's see what God wants to say in this. Does that sound good to you? Three of you. Perfect. Okay, I like it. you need to know about me real quick is okay so sometimes I break out into prayer and you have you think I'm talking to you and I'm actually talking to Jesus and um, that's okay but I just have to warn you now because I'll say let's pray and then a lot of people will do this are we are we praying yet like and they'll look at me and they'll like wonder why I'm looking at them well I lived in China for a long time and when you sat down for a meal or when you were in public it, if you were sitting with locals, it was very dangerous to them if you prayed together because that would put the spotlight on them possibly being a Christian. So we learned that at dinners, we would just pray with our eyes open, and it reminded me that prayer is this conversation and that God is this very living, present God that is here with us right now. And so I'm going to pray for our day, but I'm going to keep my eyes open. If that's weird for you, well, good. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, sometimes we just have to be pushed out of our own comfortability. Uh, we're our comfort zone. Um, but if you want to, I just invite you to keep your eyes open too, and let's be reminded that, that God's here. And so God, thanks for this time. Thanks for the space. Lord, I know that we join millions of people around the world right now who are gathering together. They're looking for you to speak. So God, Lord, I, I pray that we would come with our hearts open wide. And, and Lord, I know that sometimes we don't always have the, the ability to do that based on our story, based on what we bring in here this week. Um, but what we do have the ability to do is be here and be as much here as we possibly can. So God, I pray that you'd give us a tenderness in our hearts for what you have to say to us. That you give us a tenderness kind of in the depths of our being to say, okay, God, you speak. Give me ears to hear. The first four books of the New Testament are called the Gospels, and it covers these, these stories of Jesus, right? And each Gospel teller kind of tells his version. Luke is the one that has the most parables in it. That's the third book of the New Testament. And, and here's the interesting thing. If you have one of those Bibles with the words in red where Jesus is talking a lot, right? Um, One-third of what Jesus said is in parable form. Isn't that crazy? So one-third of what Jesus says is in parable, which means if we want to understand Jesus more than 
it's helpful if we know how to read those parables, right? Because Jesus was talking most commonly to a Jewish audience, and he himself was Jewish. And so the more that we can hear it with a Jewish ear, the more we might understand what he was communicating back then. Does that sound like a plan? Is that good? So your mic is on. Yes. It's not streaming. Oh, no. So. Do I turn over? No, no, you can if you want. <laughs> You're up for anything, right? Yeah, I'm up for anything. <laughs> what am I doing? We are such good hosts. Can you use this one? Yeah, totally. Okay. Thank you. you can probably just leave that one on, too. Either one. Ooh. No, don't apologize. You're good. I thought I had done something wrong. I thought I had like a bat in the cave or something, too. Sorry, wanted to know who knew. <laughs> Did you get that reference? Okay. No. No, I'm having fun. <laughs> okay, we good now? Yay. Yay. So are we still streaming? Are we not streaming or are we still? We're streaming now? Were we streaming earlier? Okay, good. Hi, streamers. Welcome back. <laughs> and we're back. Okay, number two. Here, here, you ready? Most dangerous question that a pastor can ever ask is, do you remember what point number one was? Aha, okay. So what does the parable mean? What does the word parable mean? It means to? Yes, very good. Well done. Like four of you remember. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so bring the spiritual down to the daily. Cast alongside. That's what a parable does. Here's the second thing that a parable does, and I think now we start getting into territory that we don't always know of is a parable is always, well, this is the part we do know. You ready? Parables are always to teach about God. They're theocentric. They're God-centered. But here's the other thing is, parables are meant to kind of cause this awe and wonder about God. So in a sense, when you hear a parable, it's meant to like give you a response. Like it's meant to call you to, and that's going to be point number three in just a second, but it's meant to like to resonate with you, to say, oh, that's who God is. And then number three, which I think we definitely forget, is parables always call us to a decision. So when you get to the end of a parable, the goal is, is right then and there, you're called to a decision. You're called to a decision right there in the moment. And here's where I think we've gone, I'm going to sound audacious right now, okay? Here's where I think we've gone off the rails or kind of gone um, away from parables. I think we've turned parables into bedtime stories. We've turned parables into fables. Because what we do is we tell the parable of the Good Samaritan, we say, look after people and keep other people in mind and be kind and be hospitable when that's not what the story's about. That's a good message, don't get me wrong. That's a great message to teach. But that's not what the Good Samaritan is about. The Good Samaritan is actually about putting your enemy in the hero place. Which when you do that, like if I was to, I, I don't know your enemy, okay? Because um, we're not Jews and, well, some of us might be, but we're not all Jews, I would take it. And we don't have all, we don't hold Samaritans um, as, op as opponents right now, right? But if I was to have you picture your enemy, and maybe a better way, I think that's even a hard thing to kind of, because I don't think anybody would say, I have this enemy, right? I think, but if, maybe if I say this, does anybody have the person that they don't even like being in the same room with? Give me a nod if that's true for you. Can you picture someone that you don't even like being in the same room with. Can you give me a nod? Yeah? Okay. Now, what if Jesus was to look at you and take that person and make them the hero of the story? What is that going to do in you? Is that going to cause a reaction in you? That's what Jesus was doing in the Good Samaritan. 
when he tells the story, if you note, excuse me, if you notice when Jesus tells stories, people reacted. It wasn't like Jesus sat down in this red armchair with his smoking jacket with the British accent and said, come around, it's story time with Uncle Jesus. It was much more of a, hey, have you considered this? And then usually whoever was listening at the time would react. Sometimes, sometimes they would get extremely angry. There's, not, there's a couple times when Jesus told a parable and he was about to get stoned. Did you notice that? The reason is, is because he's telling a story that at the end of the story, he's telling them, you need to decide right now where you stand on this. And they weren't happy about that. And what I think sometimes is you and I do that with parables where we, we take out that piece and we just say, oh, this is a great reminder for later in life. For a couple years from now, from down the road, as long as I can live like this, then I'm good. And Jesus is like, mm, you missed it. There's this incredibly brilliant woman. Um, her name's Amy Jillivine. She's Dr. Amy Jillivine. And she's this Jewish scholar. And I love listening to whoever she speaks because she's just a phenomenal mind and she understands the Old Testament um, to an nth degree. It's amazing. And here's what she says about parables, and I'll never forget this. I heard this once and it stuck with me. She says, if you listen to a parable and it has not caused you to do major heart excavation, so if you've, listened, if you've heard a parable and it hasn't caused you to do major heart excavation, then you haven't heard it yet. Isn't that, isn't that fascinating? So what we're going to do today is we're going to dive into a parable and we're going to look at maybe what decision Jesus is asking us to make today. Does that sound good? Does that work for you? Cool. All right, let's dive in. I, thank, thanks for responding. Somebody said yes. I, I, I appreciate that. All right, let me find it. So there's this parable called the prodigal son. Okay, I'm going to be audacious one more time um, and I'm going to say this. I think we've misnamed this parable as well. And so if in your Bible you open up and the heading says the prodigal son or the story of the lost son, I think that's a, that's a wrong name. Um, in my Bible, I've crossed that out and I've put the parable of the two lost sons because I think that's what the story is about. And we make it about one son, but then we forget about this other character that I think Jesus put as somewhat important in the story. Does that sound good? So I'm going to be audacious one more time. We're going to change the title. We're going to call it the parable of the two lost sons. Now, to give you a little bit of the story where this is coming from, Jesus is having a conversation with Pharisees and religious leaders who are angry that he is having dinner with sinners, that he is having dinner with people that they don't associate with. And so what Jesus does is he tells three parables. The first one is the parable of the lost sheep. The second one is the parable of the lost coin. And then finally he gets to this parable, the parable of the two lost sons, and I'll read it for you here. He says in Luke 15, 11, he says, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding, the pigs, looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have, in, have, have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. 
So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His, his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to his servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, and kill the calf we have been fat, fattening. We must celebrate with, feast, with a feast, for the son of mine was dead and now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When the, he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of his servants what was going on. Your father is back, he was told, and your father has, your brother is back, sorry. Uh, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years I have slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when his son of yours, when the son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you kill, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We have to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now is found. And that's actually where the chapter ends, and then Luke picks up in 16, kind of heading with a, with a different conversation. But here's what I love to do is, I'd love to talk about each character for just a minute. I'm going to talk about the popular one first, the younger son, right? The prodigal, as we know. So the prodigal starts off the story by coming to his dad and says, Dad, I want my inheritance now, which... Sometimes, if you've heard this story, you've heard somebody say that maybe, maybe this was almost like you going up to your dad and saying, I don't mind if you're dead, I would like your money at this, this time right now. Like, I want, to, I want to cash out and go. And while we can hear it that way, here's the interesting thing. In Jewish culture, there was laws set aside for a, a parent to do this anytime. Actually, there's laws right now in place right here that we can do this anytime if we would like. If we would like to give out our inheritance early, we can do this. And so, so this isn't as much as a as a, it's not as much as a hate-filled thing as it, as it is a rebellious thing. So this younger son would cause a lot of hurt, of course, just like he would do it to any parent asking this. And he walks up and says, I want my inheritance now. And so the dad would cash out, give it to him, and here's what would happen is the younger son would get this land, but the land is is only like, he can only do something different with the land when the actual father dies. He becomes a steward of it, but until the father dies, he can't do so. What he, then he has to do, if he wants to cash out the money, he actually, ha, he actually has to sell the land for usually like pennies on the dollar. Because if he does this, then he can take the cash and go. And that's kind of what he does. And he goes and backpacks Europe, right? I'm just kidding. Um, but so he jumps out, he jumps ship and he leaves and he goes and lives this crazy rebellious life. And of course, we see this story unfold. He goes, he rebels, and then in coming back, he, I love the, in verse, I think it's 17, he actually says, it, it, the scripture actually says he came to his senses, and he says, at home I lived better than this. And so he returns back home, and then we're met with this compassionate father, right? This no matter what kind of father, like no matter what you've done, no matter what you've said, no matter where you've been, I'm going to love you. And so the dad comes and gives him a robe and gives him a ring, gives him some accessories and gives him a barbecue and they have this huge party. And in the story that is 25 sentences long, the prodigal son's story is wrapped up in about 12 sentences of it. From beginning to end, that's what we know 
of the prodigal son. And we also know a lot about the father, right? The father who's filled with compassion, who has this love that no matter what, and for some of us, we need this story. We need to know that no matter where we've been, that no matter what we've done, that no matter what we've said, no matter what regrets we carry, we need to know that God's going to meet us in that space. We need to know that God is going to love us and is going to meet us in this space. That's a beautiful story, right? Yes? Then you have this older son. The older son is fascinating to me because we kind of write him out of the story, right? We write him out of the title. We call it the parable of the prodigal son. But here's what we learned. We learned very quickly that the younger son is this selfish, rebellious child who has to go through hardship away in order to come back home. Now, in Jewish culture, returning home was the story of repentance. If you wanted to tell a story about repentance, you talked about coming home. Because in coming home, you were always going to be accepted. In coming home, you were always going to be forgiven. You were going to be reinstated no matter what you had done. That's the story of repentance in Jewish culture. So coming home was about repentance. And we see the prodigal son being rebellious. So we see him, in a sense, becoming from going to be the rebellious child to becoming kind of the true son. He saw his dad as a banker. Now he sees his dad as a father. But there's a couple things that I think we miss in the story, and that's because, well, we're not Jewish, right? And so here's one, is that the older son was always seen as the family mediator. And so when we hear the story, in the first verse of it, Jesus says, a man had two sons, and the younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. We would, we would be listening for what is the older son about to do? Because where, the, where this would play out is younger son comes to dad and says, I want my money, go ahead and cash out. Well, the family mediator then, in the next, the next sentence, technically, the, the older brother should take Junior aside and say, deal with him. And then the older brother would then come and say, Dad, don't worry, I've got it handled, we're good. He, he's good, he's going he's gonna to be here, he's not leaving, it's okay, We've, that was a misunderstanding. But what does the audience hear about the older son? Exactly, he hears nothing, right? Like, that's exactly what we hear about the older son. The, the man had two sons, the younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die, so his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. Where was the, younger, where was the older son? Charles is not around. I think that's a good older son name, don't you? Does that work? I think Junior and Charles is how this plays out in my head. Maybe it's because I used to watch Charles in Charge. I don't know. Anyways, but so, so we, have, we have Junior who wants his money and then is going to go, and then we, we're waiting for the older son to show up because the older son, as the family mediator, should be stepping into this, but he stays silent. Guess what we just learned about the older son? He is just as selfish as the younger one. Because here's the deal. The older son got two-thirds of the estate, and the younger son got one-third of the estate. And so when the younger son says, I want my inheritance, he knows he's getting one-third. Guess what the older son is getting at the exact same time? The older son is getting his two-thirds. So the older son is letting the younger son do his thing in order to take his stuff and go while the older son sits back and says, okay, I guess I'm good now. 
And what we've just learned in the first two sentences of this of the story is that the older son sees his dad as the same banker that the younger son did. It's just the difference is, is the younger son's going to be the rebellious one that runs away, and the older son is the one that's going to hang out. And that's exactly what we find out in the end, right? Let's skip down. So we know the prodigal son's story. He runs off. He, he has this really cool wordplay where he's feeding the pigs, and in Greek, it's this fascinating kind of wordplay as he's feeding the, the, these pods to the pigs, and um, I won't go into it now because it'll take me a long time to unpack, uh, but there's this, if you want to dig into it, there's this fascinating wordplay story there of what he's feeding the pigs, because again, he's Jewish, that's a, it's, a, it's not a kosher um, thing, and he actually wants to eat what the pigs are eating, it's kind of funny, um, Jesus has a big sense of humor there, and then what we, ju- we jump down to verse 25, it says, meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working, when he returned home, he heard music and dancing, and he asked one of the servants what was going on, your brother was back, um, he was told, and the father has killed the fattened calf, we are celebrating because of his safe return. The, uh, the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years. Is it okay if I read the rest of this to you? Am I boring anybody? You awake? Okay, good. Streaming? You still there? Grab a cup of, grab a cup of coffee and come back. Okay. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. The, his, his father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you've told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours, notice he can't even call him his brother. When this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost but now is found. Do you know what we don't have in the story? We don't have an ending. Do you notice that? There is no, com- there's no completion to the story. Because here's the deal. With parables, Jesus is setting up, it's, it's like Jesus is setting up like a little mini drama. And what he's done is he's had the younger son go off and come back, and he's had the father take care of him. And now he has, and he kind of leaves like the, the first part of the story, the spotlight was always on the prodigal son. And now the spotlight is between the father and the older son, right? And the older son is mad because I've been around. I've, I've done everything that you've said, everything. And what does the father tell him? Yeah, you have. And everything that I have is yours, which is true, right? On many levels, because he gave his older son the inheritance just like he did the younger. So he's speaking from a depth of truth there. And what we're left with is like, it's like all of a sudden all the lights on the stage go down except the father and the older son. And what we're left with is a decision to make. Will the older son go in? Will the older son begin to see his father as a true father and become a true son? Or will the older son have to stay outside in his anger and his self-absorption? It's kind of like this. Do you remember who Jesus is talking to? Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and the religious leaders, which built their life on doing the right thing and making sure they're in the right place and living this life of really, I'm glad I'm just not them. I'm glad I just am not like them. I'm glad I don't do things like they do because they're doing bad things, but guess what? I'm doing the right thing. And guess what Jesus is now doing in this story? He's now saying, hey, Pharisees, hey, religious leaders, you are the older son. You've been the older son for years and years and years because you've relied on what you've been doing 
to make sure that you're good with God and what in reality you're standing outside angry at God and do you fully comprehend God's compassion in your life are you able to become a true son or a true daughter Jesus was telling the story right here today what he would be doing is he'd be looking at us as churchgoers as those who have been around God for a long time and he'd say hey welcome to the stage you are now taking the place of the older son you're the one who's been around God you're the one who's been doing everything that God wanted you to do you've been you've been living this life that that you thought was getting you there and what God really wants is God wants a meaningful deep personal relationship with you are you willing to go there and where are you at on that? He's basically welcoming us into the, into the mini-drama, and he's leaving us with kind of this choose-your-own-adventure next step in the story. Are you, are you willing to go in the house and celebrate? Are you willing to, 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 like, in a sense, walk with God in such kind of a deep way that your authenticity gives you this ability just to be with God with no, no questions asked. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to, you don't have to prove yourself. Or you're going to stay outside because it's easier just to do what's right instead of to be with God personally. I think there's times when it's easier to, to look like we have it all together than just to be with a God who wants to meet with us. I think it's really easy to, to cover over how we're actually doing, especially in a church setting, I think. I think it's easy to mask how we're doing or what we're thinking or what we feel instead of stepping into the house with a God who wants to be there with all of us, not just the parts that we like. I think we have a God who invites us into more of life than we've ever understood, but sometimes our own self-absorption, did I say that right, self-absorption, there we go, our own pride gets in the way, where more often than not, we look a lot like the older son standing outside, thinking of God as more of a banker that gives us things versus more of a father who wants to sit with us See, i think there's a difference between a good son who does the right thing and wants to look good and a true son who brings all of himself or a true daughter who brings all of herself to the table i wonder if in the prodigal son if we're faced with this with this question of are we willing to are we willing to be a true child? Are we willing to kind of be open and honest with God in ways that, that we haven't before? Are we willing to make... Have you ever noticed comfort is a hard thing? We can get stuck in comfort, right? And God might ask us to step out of it, but we want to stay in it, right? So that comfort might look a lot of different ways, right? God might be asking us to step into new ways of service or new ways of meeting with him or new ways of, of spending time with him, but we kind of hold to our comfort. We say, no, 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 I'm not ready for that yet. I'm just going to keep doing what I did because this is easy for me. And God is inviting us in. God's inviting us in to, to walk with him, to spend time with him, 
to see kingdom reality in other parts of life versus just Sundays. I think the story of the prodigal son calls us to a decision. Not just, not just have you been the rebellious one, which again, there's place for that story, and some people need that story. And maybe you or somebody listening needs to hear that story today, and I, it's a beautiful story, but it doesn't end there. I think the story goes right back to us too and says, are we trying to live the good life? Are we doing the open and authentic thing with God? And I think that's a story we're faced with today. I think there's a, story, there's a question that we're faced with this coming week. Are we able to invite kingdom reality into all parts of life, or are we just doing our thing just to, just to be the good child? I'm going to pray for us. And I think as we head into a new song, I just invite you to maybe pray a dangerous prayer of inviting God into more of life than what he is currently involved in. That's something that we can always do no matter where we're at, right? And sometimes it's a dangerous thing because then God takes us up on the invitation.